It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part, it's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoff. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. This is Eric Name from ESPN Milwaukee, and this is On the NBA Beat. You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. It's a shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, welcome to On the NBA Beat. I'm your host, Lauren Lee Chen. Aaron took a behind-the-scenes role for this episode. He's day-to-day with allergies, but don't worry, I'm not flying solo here. Today, I'm joined by longtime friend of the show and first-time guest, Greg Esposito, also known as Espo, host of the Suns Solar Panel podcast, and he'll walk us through the Suns' remarkable season and what to expect in the next few weeks for this team. At the time of recording on Sunday evening, the Suns had just closed out their season, but some other games were still left to be played, so some scenarios were still being determined. We now know that with their 51-21 and record, the Phoenix Suns have secured the two-seed in the West, meaning that they will be playing the winner of Wednesday's seven-seed play-in game between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors in the first round of the playoffs. One more thing about Espo that you may not know is that he used to work at a TV station, and while there, he sometimes made appearances in their programming, including one time playing the role of a chef in a women's lifestyle show. But before we get started today, brief programming note. As you might have noticed, this is episode 150 of the podcast. For this milestone episode, we just want to thank all of our listeners and guests for their support over the years, and especially those who've given us ratings and reviews. If you're listening now and haven't already given us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it if you just took a couple minutes to do that. It really does help new people find our show. And if you follow our show or our hosts on social media, send us a message. We love hearing from you. And now, without further ado, let's talk sons. 
Thank you so much for joining us, Espo. It's been long overdue to have you make your first appearance on the show. How are you feeling these days? Well, a heck of a lot better than any of the other times you could have had me on with the Phoenix Suns actually uh, finally playoff bound. I, uh, I feel a sense, a sense of relief. So I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, as we speak, it's Sunday afternoon. I know listeners will be hearing this a little bit later in the week, but the Suns have just finished off their season with a win. They have finished 51 and 21, secured at least a top two seed in the West. They finished with a winning percentage above 700. Was this in your realm of expectations coming into the season? Was this kind of regular season performance even on your radar? No, I had them going like 41 and 31. I thought uh, five or six seed was probably where they'd top out. I did not see this coming. Uh, And a big part of it is, is they've been healthier than most teams, but I just did not see them being a top two team in the West, finishing with 51 wins, uh, over 700 win percentage. I just... It was not in my wildest dreams. I only know one person, and I know a lot of Suns fans and a lot of people who share Suns opinions, and I only know one person who had them as potentially a one seed, and uh, everybody kind of thought he was crazy, and even he would admit uh, he's a little bit crazy with it, but it turned out, uh, you know, he turned out spot on. This has been a Cinderella story this season, and now... We get to see if they turn back into a pumpkin with playoffs coming up or if uh, if this is the real deal here. Yeah, and thinking back to last year's bubble, the Suns went 8-0 and in the bubble, really turned a lot of heads there, but ultimately they missed the playoffs. I think it gave some people a little bit, a little bit of optimism coming into this season. Did that performance sort of serve as a harbinger that this season could be special? I think it certainly made people a little bit more comfortable being optimistic and and feeling that the playoff drought was going to come to an end. Uh, I wouldn't say it it put anybody in the mindset that, oh, they're going to steamroll through the Western Conference and and be one of the best, if not the best, team on the road this year in the league. So it was a pleasant surprise to watch them go 8-0 in the bubble. I think they definitely grew. Guys like Mikhail Bridges took a step. Uh, Devin Booker proved that in big games he can come up and, and he can hit big shots. And I think it made everybody feel a little bit more at ease going into this year. It gave the players that that were coming back, I definitely think they gave them a confidence in each other and a trust in each other. And the other thing that I think it helped do was it made guys like CP3 and Jay Crowder, who wound up on this roster going into this season, take notice of this team and think that it could be a possibility to come here and win. And that's the biggest thing that came out of the bubble. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And people don't really expect, you know, this kind of year on year improvement to be so quick especially for a young team going back to two years ago. They were 28th in offensive rating, 29th in defensive rating, one of the worst teams in the NBA. About mediocre 
last season and this year they're in elite territory and both of those a lot of that people are attributing those rises at least partially to the arrival of Chris Paul um future hall of fame point guard he just turned 36 and turned in a really remarkable season some people were even considering him to be a top 5 mvp candidate how has his performance surprise you in any way and how has you contributed to the Suns success well let me put the season into a little perspective for you from the 2016-17 season through the 2018-19 season it took 193 games to get to 50 wins uh, in that time the Suns did it in 71 games this season so obviously that's not all Chris Paul a lot of roster change uh, and coaching changes and whatnot throughout that time. But what I think what it does speak to Chris Paul is the leap that you can make quickly. And we've seen him do it when he was with the Clippers, when he was with OKC, New Orleans took a big jump in his first year there. Uh, his talent is undeniable. But what he brought to this young group was a mindset, an approach to the game. And they did not take any night for granted this year. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until game 72 that they rested anybody. You see a lot of strategic rest, you know, load management in the NBA. The Suns team didn't do that because Chris Paul doesn't believe in that. And he's made that very clear over the last two years that if he's healthy, he will play. There is no load management regardless of his age. Now you can debate whether that hurts or helps you know a player of his caliber especially come playoff time but that was the mentality that he brought to this team and every night they came out and they played hard rarely did they lose back-to-back games uh they went from a stretch in january and through beginning of april where they didn't lose back-to-back games that's chris paul's doing it was it was like having a a head coach on the floor that went completely along with Monty Williams' philosophy as the coach off of it, right? And and that's what Chris Paul did for this team. That he helped them grow up. And there there's a lot to be said for that when you have a lot of young guys who've experienced a lot of losing. It was a culture change. It was a mindset change. And that is what Chris Paul gets credit for. Obviously, he's great on the floor as well, but the culture change is is a huge one for him. I want to also transition and talk a little bit about Monty Williams as a coach. Chris Paul and he carry connection from their days with the New Orleans Hornets. Uh, they only spent one season together, but Chris Paul had laudatory comments to say about Williams before he was acquired by Phoenix this offseason. Can you talk a little bit about their connection and also just how Monty's style as a coach has helped this Suns team grow up so fast? Well, I don't think without Monty Williams in Phoenix that Chris Paul comes here. I know he wanted to play with Devin Booker. He stated that as a big reason. But the comfort level with Monty Williams, the the relationship with Monty Williams, I think is what really opened the door. And Monty Williams is such a calming force, right? He comes in and He's not the guy that's going to flip over tables and scream. He's the guy that's going to come in and earn your respect. And 
with a young group who had been through as much as they had in terms of just insanity upheaval. I mean, Devin Booker had five coaches in four years at one point. I mean, that's just not stability. That's not how you're going to help a young potential superstar grow. That just causes a losing culture. Monty Williams came in and just stabilized all that, got these guys mentally focused. Everybody from the the first guy to the 15th guy on the roster uh, are ready at a moment's notice. And you'll see this. Guys will drop out of the rotation. Frank Kaminsky, a perfect example, won't play for a month or two. And then he'll be called on because they need him, and he is mentally ready to come in. Etwan Moore, in the final game, had uh, 22 points on 9 of 10 shooting, I believe. He hadn't played in months, but Monty Williams keeps these guys ready. Langston Galloway, the same way. That is uh, is a tribute to how unbelievable he is in terms of motivating people, reaching people on a personal level making sure that they buy in to the system and and bringing a system. I mean, we dealt with coaches like Earl Watson and uh, Igor Kokoshkov and, you know, Lindsey Hunter even further back in Phoenix. Guys that just didn't bring a system, didn't, we're all talk, no action. Monty Williams just brought all of that to the table last year when he became head coach. And then, his relationship with Chris Paul helped that whole offense blossom and the defensive mindset blossom this year even further because it's one thing to hear the philosophy from Monty Williams, right? You know, guys can wear wear down on a coach's message over, you know, 72, 82 games, whatever the season's length is. But when Chris Paul, a legend, a guy that a lot of these Suns players have a, a reverence for, and, and I think that... I don't use that word lightly. I, I really do believe they have a reverence for Chris Paul. When he's taking the same message that's coming from Monty and, and feeding it to them as well, that's huge. And there's obviously a trust between Chris Paul and Monty Williams that you don't always get from players and coaches, and, and there's a belief there. Shifting to talk about the other all-star on the team, Devin Booker, I think his role has changed a little bit needing to adapt to the arrival of Chris Paul Um, in previous seasons. You know, obviously a guy with a lot of talent, one of the best shooters in the NBA. In previous seasons, it didn't necessarily seem like those huge stats that he was putting up were contributing to winning. How has Booker specifically adapted to being on a winning team like this? I think one of the one of the big things early in the season is he had to learn to play with uh, another star. I mean, to, to be frank, he hadn't had anybody of a star quality on the roster. He played with a lot of rosters that had G League quality, especially at the point guard position. So he wasn't used to having to defer to anybody. And early in the season, I think Devin was a little too much in the this is Chris Paul, this is a legend, uh, I'm going to defer to him more often than not, rather than uh, you know, sharing the load a- as the main guy. And as time went on, I think Monty Williams adjusted uh, as well and kind of split where their minutes were, where when one guy went off, the other guy stayed on the court. So they each had an opportunity to kind of be the man, you know, with the ball, running the offense, those kind of things. 
I think that was an adjustment for Devin Booker because his usage was so high for such a long time uh, out of necessity in Phoenix with no other stars. And then you add in Chris Paul and all of a sudden it lightens that load, but it changes the mindset too. And and it took a little while for him to adjust. If you go back and look at, at the beginning of the season, it wasn't exactly as stellar as as you'd seen. And you look at his numbers, they're, they're down compared to where they had been. But this was, I would say, one of Booker's better seasons. And not just because of, of the wins, but efficiency, defense, being able to defer and trust his teammates, which were things that, by no fault of his own, he really couldn't do previously. So the growth this year from Devin Booker has been impressive. Uh, there's a long way to go for him to solidify himself as a, a star, a superstar in this league. But over the next couple of weeks, that may be that step he takes. The playoffs are where guys become that next level of player. And I think Devin Booker has it in him. And I think CP3 wants to get it out of him, pull it out of him in these playoffs. And that is something that's truly exciting is watching the maturation of Booker next to CP3 and knowing that they've gotten to a point where I think you can get the best out of Devin Booker going into this playoffs. And, and that should be exciting and should be exciting for basketball fans in general, not just Suns fans, because there is a, uh, you know, I was with the team Devin Booker's rookie year and I have never met a guy that is built for stardom like I have with Devin Booker. The maturity, the mindset, the way he approached the game, everything he wanted to accomplish from day one, he has it. And I hope that the entire NBA gets to see and witness that evolution in the playoffs. There was a recent article in 538 by Jared Dubin, published in late April, where he posits that Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton could serve as the X-Factors for the Suns in the playoffs. He concludes with the quote, how they handle the bright lights of playoff basketball will likely set the ceiling for this Suns team. How much do you agree with that claim? A hundred percent. I mean, if I could agree more, I would, uh, but I know 538 is a statistical website, so I won't <laughs> I won't insult them by saying 110%. But yes, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. It is going to come down to, can Mikhail Bridges continue his consistent offensive performance that he's had over the last month to go along with how great he's been defensively? Can DeAndre Ayton, can you pencil him in for 15 and 10 even? If you just know consistently what you're going to get out of him, you don't need him to take that step into stardom in the playoffs. Like I was talking about with Devin Booker, you just need him to be consistent on both ends of the court. Defensively, he has been that all year. Offensively, it's ebbed and flowed. If you know what you can pencil him in for on the offensive end, this Suns team can go a long way. Uh, if he's inconsistent, it's going to be problematic. Uh, If he gets in foul trouble, it's going to be problematic because the one thing that James Jones didn't do, and he built this team damn well. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. I, I think he's executive of the year for what he did and the depth he built, but the one place he didn't build depth was at that backup center spot. And Dario Saric has not looked good as of late, 
which means if you look at DeAndre Ayton, if he gets in foul trouble, you're talking about Torrey Craig, you're talking about Frank Kaminsky having to be your your real difference makers, or Dario turning it around completely, you know, doing a 180 in the playoffs. I don't feel comfortable with that scenario, and I know most people don't. Uh, James Jones does because that's what he decided to go with and roll with at the deadline, and we'll see how that plays out. But DeAndre Ayton will be a big part of of what's going on and how far this Suns team can go. If he takes some step, some large step in these playoffs, watch out. That that could be the difference between uh, you know a, a second round or a Western Conference Finals exit and, and a championship. That's that's how big. Uh, you could see a swing if if DeAndre Ayton does something special. Any concern about, you know, he's been out for a little bit with left knee soreness recently? Concern, obviously. But the nice thing with this play-in situation that we have this year is it gives teams that have locked down a playoff spot a week to rest. Mm-hmm. So if we were talking about a se- uh, first-round series starting on Tuesday or Wednesday, I might be more concerned, but with almost a week for him to, to rest, I don't feel overly concerned. One thing that the Suns team does is they are tight-lipped on injury stuff. So there is no, uh, like, we don't really understand how bad Cam Johnson's rich, wrist injury is, how serious DeAndre Ayton's knee is. All we find out is right before the game, they're out and we're not giving any updates as to it. We don't. We're not doing that is basically uh, the MO. So we don't really know what's wrong. I mean, it could have just been felt a little funny, didn't want to push it and figured that you, you pretty much had things fairly squared away with that second seed and an outside chance at one. So, so rest him. But yeah, there's some concern there because if he's out and if you have to face the Lakers in round one and he's out anytime, that could spell big trouble. You talked a little bit about the change in his role. He's actually averaging the fewest points per game of his career this season, but his efficiency numbers are much higher than his previous two seasons. He's killing it in the pick and roll, obviously part of that due to the combination with Chris Paul. Well, what he was asked to do this year, point blank by Monty Williams and Chris Paul, was be the anchor defensively. You own the the defensive end of the floor. Make us one of the best in the league. And he helped do that this year. Offensively, they knew whatever he would get, you know, uh, he'd be efficient, but they weren't going to run the offense through him necessarily. Only a handful of times this year did they force the issue with him, one of which was a, a Knicks game towards the end of the year that was probably his best of the season and he was immensely efficiently efficient still offensively. I think in the playoffs it may wind up you may wind up having to rely on him uh, more offensively just because of how the game changes. But I think he's prepared for that because they were smart. They didn't say we need you to dominate both ends of the floor uh, and be that guy. They said no, focus on the defense because they knew if he could become that defensive stalwart, the guy that was going to protect the rim, it would change everything from a team defensive standpoint. And that's what he did. He stepped up to the call. That's why I'm not concerned that his offensive uh, points per game 
were down uh, because, to your point, the efficiency and then what he did on the defensive end. And then the other guy from that article, Mikhail Bridges, he also increases efficiency a lot this season, especially from three-point range. He's shooting about 42.5% this season, up from 36% last season. He's also an elite defender, not just for his age, but in general as well, 7-1 wingspan. He's usually tasked with the assignment of guarding the opposing team's best wing scorer to make it out of the West. That is going through sort of a murderer's row of players, massive offensive talents, as you know. How much is on his shoulders for that defensive burden? Oh, in the playoffs, it's going to be a lot. And defensively, there's nothing to question about Mikhail Bridges. He's been spot on since day one. He's grow, continued to grow uh, on that side of the ball. He is one of the best in the league at what he does defensively. It's huge for the Suns. Uh, to your point, shooting has improved this year, but he did go through some stretches where uh, it, it wasn't exactly pretty. Now, in the last 10 games of the season, he only shot under 66% twice from three-point land. Like uh, he, he is an X factor for this team in terms of that offensive end. Uh, like I said, I would not question anything that comes up with him defensively, but offensively, if you get the Mikhail Bridges from the final 10 games of this regular season, other teams better watch out. And this is another guy that I think more of the league will take notice of because he'll be on that big stage doing this. And I have high hopes for what Mikhail Bridges can actually accomplish. And I think there's a, a chance that he works his way into the discussion of, should this guy be a max contract guy uh, on his rookie extension, just by how well he's playing and what it could mean in these, in these playoffs. Using the phrase, more people will take notice of, I think that's pretty apt because this season, despite the winning percentage, despite like being top two in the West, it seems like the Suns are being overlooked a little bit. Why do you think that is basically in the national media landscape? Well, part of it is this isn't like the seven seconds or less Suns, right? This isn't, for lack of a better term, sexy basketball. It's not, you know, run and gun, fast paced, you know, everybody's going to score 130 a night kind of, you know, alley-oops everywhere kind of game that, that, and that was, those are the times that the Suns have gotten attention. You know, uh, the Charles Barkley Suns played uh, at a very breakneck speed for those, uh, for those nineties years. Uh, that wasn't an NBA style, seven seconds or less, obviously credited with a lot of the, the, revolution in offensive basketball but this team again takes on chris paul's personality it's grind it down you know sometimes walk it up and not even touch the ball until you know almost at midcourt and then get into the offense i think that's why they didn't get noticed and it's not just the suns i mean the the jazz to be fair haven't gotten much as much attention as you would think for for the two teams that are going to finish one and two in some order in the Western Conference. That's just the way national media is always going to be. Uh, until uh, Devin Booker becomes a super, uh, you know, a, a, a face of the league or a Donovan Mitchell, 
which it'll be Devin Booker before Donovan Mitchell, just for the jazz fans listening. But uh, they're not going to get that kind of respect. You're always going to look at the LeBrons, the ADs, the the Stephs, the Giannis, you know, the the Luca. They're it's a name driven league. It's a recognizable face league. Those people will get the attention. But the way you force people to pay attention to you is making noise in the playoffs. You can't be ignored when you go out there and do it when all the eyes of the NBA are on you. It is very tough to to not talk about a team when you're one of the last four left, if you get that far. That's the way you earn that respect. And the Suns, quite frankly, didn't deserve respect this year because they've been completely and utterly irrelevant for the last decade. So prove it. Come out and show it, and you'll get the respect of the league. Yeah, and you touched upon this, but in a recent episode of the Solar Panel, you expressed some worries about the potential of facing the Lakers in a 2-7 series or even possibly a 1-8 series, depending on what happens over the course of the next week and later tonight. What are the biggest worries there for you? Well, part of it is psychosis, because (laughs) as a Suns fan, whether you've been one for 20 years or, or 53 years, you've dealt with a lot of heartbreak. Now, there's a whole generation of Suns fans that know nothing about heartbreak because they haven't been in the playoffs. But for those of us that are of a, a, a older vintage, I'll say it that way, not 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 old, just an older vintage, uh, we remember those things. And I think that's kind of part of it. You know, the Lakers have been the big brother to the Suns' little brother for decades, pretty much since the Suns have come in the league. So I think that's part of it. But it's also... Suns have limited playoff experience on that roster, right? The Lakers have LeBron and AD. They they have the star power, the experience. They're the defending champions. I would like the Suns to get an opportunity to play somebody that isn't the the top, the cream of the crop, right out the gates. Let them get their sea legs. Let Devin Booker figure out what playoff basketball is about. Let Mikhail Bridges find his groove. Let DeAndre Eaton ease his way into it. I'd, I'd much rather have a tune-up first-round matchup than having to go straight to fifth gear uh, in round one against the Lakers. Now, a lot of Suns fans hammered me on that, but I just, I, I get it. You have to beat the best to be the best. I just like to have to beat the best a little bit later on and get an opportunity to gain that experience before you have to face him uh, right out the gates. That makes sense. Like LeBron in the playoffs is obviously no joke. Would you, I guess, consider the Suns an underdog in that in that potential series then uh, against the Lakers? I mean, I guess it depends on on who you who you talk to. I mean, from my standpoint, no. I still think they have a very good chance uh, and and maybe even likelihood of beating the Lakers just because they're coming off of injuries. The Suns have played very well. Uh, Their style of play has been geared towards the way you play in the playoffs. Plus the Suns are a deeper team. Mm -hmm. It's, I just, I think that's, I, some people want to debate that. I, I don't think it's debatable. The Suns one through 15 are very well constructed outside of, like I said, uh, not necessarily having a, a real great, backup big that can pick up defensive slack if DeAndre Ayton uh, isn't on the court. But overall, that is a very deep team. I think it makes the Suns team tough to beat. 
but whenever you have two of the top five guys in the game on the court for your team, like the Lakers do, that's scary. It should be scary for anybody in the first round, whether it's the Jazz facing him, the Suns, or the Nuggets. It should be scary that you're facing LeBron and AD in round one. It's not ideal after you've worked so hard to get in the top three slots in the Western Conference for the playoffs. Usually you get a lesser team. That's your reward, not facing the defending champions. Yeah, and I guess speaking more about the Suns' depth, typically you see what you see in the playoffs is that rotations shorten a little bit. For the Suns, past the guys that we've already talked about, guys like Sharage, Crowder, even like Campaign, Tory Craig, all giving very valuable contributions. But do you think, who do you think is most likely to step up for the Suns from that group and who might see themselves on the outside of the rotation as they shorten? Yeah, I, I, they'll definitely shorten the rotation. I think Sarge is probably an odd man out to start. Uh, campaign is going to be a huge part of what they're doing. Tory Craig, a lot of people are like, oh, he drops out of the rotation in the playoffs, but he has been such a key to what they're doing. He's gotten great defensive stops. His shooting has been better than than expected. He does have playoff experience. Like I, I think he's part of that rotation. The nice thing is that in, in these playoff series, inevitably somebody gets hurt, somebody has to come out, somebody fouls out. There's always that moment where somebody who wasn't expected in those rotations has to step up, right? The Suns are prepared for that. Their roster is prepared for that moment. It would not shock me if somebody random carries one of these games for this team. A campaign, you know, uh, you know. Uh, there's there's a lot of guys. I mean, like I mentioned previously, Etwan Moore came out of nowhere in the final game. Uh, he was buried at that last spot on the bench. Uh, I, I could see a Langston Galloway getting a, a couple of minutes and hitting a couple threes. That's that's what it is. It's so encouraging to me about this team is, yes, the rotations will shorten, but when somebody winds up getting called on for whatever that reason, they're going to be prepared, and that'll come up big for this team. I guess, like, as you said, so many players ready to jump in. Monty Williams has everyone ready to go once their number's called. Even some other guys that we didn't talk about, Cameron Johnson, currently out with a wrist injury, but he's played valuable minutes over the course of the season for the Suns. Um, what do you view as the biggest vulnerability for the Suns in the playoffs? Would you still say it's like the lack of experience outside of a guy like Chris Paul? Yeah, a lack of lack of experience is going to be a big part of it. Uh, it would not shock me if, if game one out of the gates isn't the prettiest in the first half for this team some of the, the the lights are obviously brighter i know it's cliche but i, I just I, I think there's going to be some anxiety some uh, you know just especially if you're playing a team like the lakers just a wow this is the playoffs okay and and having to readjust recalibrate for that so i i think the in, inexperience is the biggest uh, potential pitfall for this team, but with Chris Paul, Monty Williams, I just, 
I think they'll be more prepared than the average team that lacks playoff experience. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. As we said at the top of the show, there's a lot of stuff still to be determined at the taping time, especially given that there's this new play-in structure to determine who the Suns will ultimately be facing in the first round. Um, We spoke a little bit about a potential matchup with the Lakers, but other teams that the Suns have potential to face would be the Warriors, the Grizzlies, only if the Suns manage to move up to the one seed. But um, I guess in a potential matchup with either of those two teams or the Blazers, if the Blazers end up falling to the number seven, um, how do you assess the chances that the Suns have and how the matchups will shake out there? You know, looking at that, obviously, Spurs, Memphis, those would be ideal if you wind up in one and, and one of those teams finds a way with the play in to, to wind up at, at eight. That would be ideal. Obviously, we, we've talked about the Lakers, but Portland still is concerning to me. Uh, Dame Lillard, we've seen what he can do in the playoffs. Uh, CJ McCollum is very good. Uh, that series is more worrisome if DeAndre Ayton is really injured and, and doesn't play much. But if you have a big like DeAndre Ayton, I think you can handle Portland, which you know is, is a better matchup than LA. You look at Golden State, and Golden State, sure, they're, they're not the Warriors of the past, but that is one scrappy group. Steph still can put up 50 in a game. I mean, it would not shock me if he has a game in the playoffs where he drops 60 and we all just go, yeah, he's really, he is one of the best scorers we've ever, ever seen. So that factor is always a bit unnerving. But if I had to pick between, you know, Portland, the Lakers, and Golden State, give me Golden State out of that group. You can just wear them down. Sure, maybe they get two. Uh, against you. Maybe they get lucky and and Steph has three unbelievable games, but I think the path to four wins uh, against the Warriors is is a lot easier than it is against Portland and LA. Uh, Portland, obviously easier than than LA, so that's probably rather face Golden State, Portland, and then then the Lakers in in that order. I know we probably don't want to counter chickens before they're hatched, but in potential second round matchups thoughts on either the nuggets or the clippers i mean the path in the west is going to be difficult regardless of of who you face in round two uh obviously the joker uh Jokic there is likely going to win the mvp has done an amazing job but without jamal murray that's an interesting matchup I think I think it's an easier path than taking on the Clippers in round two but the interesting thing is you gotta keep in mind you know I'm I'm a believer in the basketball gods and trends of uh of basketball past I, I get it it's not the same Clippers team but this is still a team that's never been to the Western Conference Finals so that's always interesting to me is it do we believe that it's it's pandemic P or, or playoff P that you're going to get out of, out of Paul George. Uh, is how motivated and driven is Kawhi 
in this, you know, all these factors that that come into play with the Clippers. I think both matchups are going to be, you know, six, seven games, regardless. If the Suns make it to round two, whoever they're facing, that's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be uh, a very difficult road to just get the ability to be in the Western Conference Finals. And uh, so, but I like the matchup against the Nuggets more, especially if you have DeAndre Ayton. He's traditionally played very well against Jokic. And uh, in the minutes that he's directly playing, playing him defensively, uh, he can hold his own with the Joker. So I like that matchup better when it comes to the Suns. Regardless, it's going to be a wild ride in the next uh, coming weeks for the Suns. Good luck to them in the playoffs. Thank you so much again for joining us this episode. It's been really great to talk to you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can talk again sometime like the Western Conference Finals or Finals. Hopefully there's a, a reason for me to be speaking to you again. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Thank you.